Welcome to an inspirational teaching by Pastor Victor DeMonte, the Senior Pastor of Adonai Church, Bangalore. We hope you enjoy this teaching. Today we're going to continue the topic on fasting. I'm talking about my journey on fasting. We're going to look at Isaiah chapter 58 verse 1. I'm reading from the Amplified Version. God speaks to the people of Israel through this prophet called Isaiah and says, Cry aloud, spare not, lift up your voice like a trumpet, and declare to my people their transgression and to the house of Jacob their sins. Now you can see that is loaded with expression. Cry aloud, spare not, lift up your voice like a trumpet, Declare to my people, he's talking to the church, he's talking to people who have a relationship with God. What is it that God wants to communicate? Their transgression and to the house of Jacob their sins. What is their sin? Verse 2, yet they seek and inquire for and require me daily and delight externally to know my ways. And if they were in reality a nation that did righteousness and forsook not the ordinances of their God, they ask of me righteous judgment, they draw, to, draw near to me in visible ways. Now when God speaks to this prophet Isaiah to declare to the people of Israel or God's people their sin, it's a warning. And that warning is relevant not only for them at that time, the warning is for God's people today, His church, for every Christian, every Christian leader, and every pastor. And this is a warning where God is saying, tell them that transgression, transgression is moving away outside the boundaries of God. Tell them that transgression, and to our surprise, it's not naming immorality. It's not naming lying. It's not naming, you know, these, these sins that we think are big and, and great profanity. But it's talking about simple, mundane things. It says in verse 2, they're all good things. They are things that, that we do. We seek the Lord. We inquire of Him daily. We delight in worship. We get even to fasting. We do all of this which is right. But when we lose faith and our love for God, we move from relationship to rituals. And this was the transgression of God's people. Outwardly, they were Christians. Outwardly, they enjoyed the routine of, of what worship is. They had the right rituals, but the wrong attitudes. And this is a danger that all of us, including me, can fall in. When you do something over and over and over again, you get the art of doing something, and we lose the attitude behind why we do it. And that was the transgression that God is saying to his people, be careful, guard your heart. Because we can go through the emotions of worship and still not worship God. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 15 verse 7, he quotes the prophet Isaiah's words, Hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy about you, saying, These people draw near to me with their mouth, 
honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me, and in vain they worship me. We don't ponder the words that we talk to God about. We don't live in the reality of the worship or connect it with our heart attitude. But we like worship. We like the music. We like the choice of songs. It comforts us, but it's lacking heart. And God is saying, we worship with our lips, but our hearts are far away. We can study the word of God and still not know God. We can get involved in ministry because we like to be busy, but we lose the heart to behind who we serve and what's the motivation of ministry. We can come to church as a ritual because it's part of our ritual. Dress up every Sunday, come to church, and we can predict what's going to happen. There'll be praise and worship. John will say, good morning, church, with the announcements, and then after we'll get into the, the message. We can become a ritual because we lose heart and we lose focus. You know, no one intentionally backslides. We all slowly backslide. Can I hear an amen to that one? You know, we don't backslide with immorality. We don't backslide with stealing. It doesn't happen. Backsliding doesn't start with those things. Backsliding starts with a simple, laid-back attitude towards God and to the things of God. You miss one day's devotion, it's easy to miss the second day. It gets easier the third day, and it gets even more after a week. You, you lose the conviction. Why? Because bank sliding is going downhill. You ever went downhill cycling? I did. We went to Vietnam, and I thought, wow, this is holiday. I love to cycle. I took the cycle, and I said, I'm going to cycle in Vietnam. And I left early morning. Get up early, whatever. And I took the cycle, and I started to, to cycle outside the, the resort, and I enjoyed the scenery. The countryside was beautiful. The people are amazing, kind and hospitable. And I was going downhill. And I went, and I went, and I went, and I was enjoying the downhill experience. The problem came when I had to return. I realized how steep the hill was. When I was going down, I enjoyed it. I didn't think I have to come back and how deep it will be. I stopped. I sat at the side of the road. Someone gave me some green tea. They had pity for me. Got on the cycle and cycled again. I stood on the pedal, sat down, pushed the bike. It was a tough job. And that's what backsliding is all about. It's so easy to slip aside, slip down. But coming back... You begin to see how far away you slipped to get back to the place where God wanted you to be. You know, when people see a tree fallen by the roadside, they see this tree, big, huge tree, suddenly it fell. It didn't fall suddenly. You look at the tree, you would notice that over the months and years, the white ants has been eating away. It has slowly fallen. We suddenly saw it. And that's what happens with a person. We slowly give in to all the unnecessary things that happen in our lives. And then suddenly, people see we've fallen. It starts slowly. This is what happened to the leaders in church in the book of Revelation chapter 3, verse 15. And I want to say to you this morning, what Isaiah was pointing out to God's people were good things. 
They were seeking God. They were delighting in worship. They were saying, God, show us your mercy and judgment. All good things. But when you lose heart and lose faith, lose your love for God, something radically happens. Those same good things become a ritual. And this is what happened to the ladies in church. I know your deeds, God says, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. I wish you were either hot or you were cold. Verse 16. So because you're lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Why is lukewarm being such a problem? Because lukewarm is about deception. You can never measure what lukewarm is. If someone says me, tells you, give me a warm water, you don't know how warm warm is to that person. And so God is saying, I don't want you to be in between. You're either hot or you're cold. You're either for God or you're not for God. Or you're making your way towards God. But anything in between, God's speaking to his church. I know your deeds. Your deeds are good. And sometimes we can get the action right, but the attitude wrong. And God is dealing with the attitude, the motivation. One clear sign of backsliding is seeing, verse 3, you start blaming God. The minute you start blaming God for your circumstances and why he didn't do this and why he didn't do that, remember, you've hit the rock bottom of backsliding. And this is what happened to the people of Israel. Verse 3, why have we fasted? Sounds like a Christian. You, they say you, you do not see. Why have we afflicted ourselves? And you take no knowledge of it. Now, fasting in, in the Old Testament was literally not only a spiritual sign, but a physical sign. They will rend their clothes. They will sit down in ashes and put all those ashes as a sign of humbling, as a sign of repentance. And they're saying, Lord, we afflict ourselves. We put the ashes. We sit on the ground. We rend our clothes. But you've not seen it. Because Christian activity does not make you a Christian. It's our love for Christ that makes us a Christian. And sometimes we get the activity right. And I said this in one of the services. Some of us can slip from the pew right in, into hell. And you must have thought, how did that happen? It happened slowly. Because we focus our own activity. Look at how God replies. Behold, O Israel, on the day of your fast, when you should be grieving for your sins, and I'll tell you what the sins are. The sins are the same things that it talks about in verse 1. Losing heart, getting the right act action. It says grieving for your sins. You find profit in your business. Greed. You're motivated in grief. Your life mission is based on greed. And instead of stopping all work, as the law implies and your workmen should do, talking about honoring the Sabbath, you extort, you take advantage from your hired servants of full amount of labor. You exploit people for your own greed. Verse 4, you fast only for strife and debate and to smite with the fist of wickedness. Fasting as you do today will not cause your voice to be heard on high. So what is he saying? He says, even your fasting is motivated by greed. Now, you and I know what that means. We can fast, Lord, bless my home, bless my business, bless my job. The more blessings you get, the more we want. 
and our first thing is so focused on what we can get from God rather than what we can do with the blessings God has given to us. People ask God for a blessing, but never ask God what to do with that blessing. Remember previous Sunday I said when God blesses you, He has more than you in His mind. He blesses you for purpose. And so greed was so dominant in their heart. When you look, when you look away from God, when your focus is away from God, you focus on the wrong things. By nature, by, it's a natural thing. If your focus is not centered about God, it's focused on something else, and it's greed. Creeps into our lives. They would fight. They would exploit. They would shake their fists in order to get people to do what they want in order to satisfy their greed. Greed was their single most sin that turned them away from, from a godly heart. And all their religious activity was only to gain profit for themselves. It was greed that exploited people. It was greed that caused them to quarrel and fight. And they expected God to hear. And now who bothers about greed? We see people lifting their hands on Sunday morning. We can worship God. We can come on church on Sunday morning. But greed can eat us on the inside and nobody can say anything about it. Because outwardly, we look good. Outward, we look well, the most blessed child of God on, on planet Earth. But greed is getting the better of us. How do we treat the people who work for us? Starting with your maids. Do you give them a day off? How can I give them a day off? Who will clean my vessels if I give them? Exploit them for your own advantage. If you need a day off, then you give your maid a day off. And it's a principle that we've applied many, many years ago. We never let our, our maid work throughout the week. Take a day off. And I feel we need to be sympathetic, especially to the people who work for you. Maybe your person who washes your car, maid that cleans your home, the people you employ, people who work under you. Here is the Merriam-Webster definition that describes what greed is. It says, greed is a selfish and excessive desire for more of something as money that is needed. I'm going to read it out again. I'm sorry I didn't put it on the screen, but you can write it down. Greed is a selfish, excessive desire for more of something. It can be money, it can be anything. Greed is not limited to money, it's beyond anything that you have an a, a excessive desire for, greed that is really needed. You know, greed is a big problem in today's world. We're driven with, with greed. Why do you think people have sex trade? Greed. Why pornography? Greed. Why murder? Greed. Why is it that people are exploiting others? Greed. You look behind the evils of wickedness in this world, you will always find a hidden agenda of greed. Now, I don't want to preach on greed. I'm just touching greed. You do your own homework. And ask yourself, is greed got the better of you? And so much more, God becomes a means to your end. What do I mean by that? That means, God, you're only here in this relationship to make sure I get my demands of blessings right. If I don't get my end of blessing, then God becomes irrelevant to you. 
because that's more, your relationship is motivated by greed. Jesus warns us about greed. Luke chapter 12, verse 15. Then Jesus said to them, watch out. Same cry from Isaiah 58, verse 1. Watch out. Be on your guard. When are you under guard? When you know you're under attack. Be aware. Be conscious against all kinds of greed. It can be food. How oh, we love our food. It can be non-wedge. It can be money. It can be ambition. Never stop. It can be material things. I read a joke. I hope I have time for these things. But I read this joke. It's just a joke. A rich man met with an accident in his BMW. And he broke his, his wrist. And then he got him out of the car. And when he got out of the car, he looked at his BMW, and he said, oh, my BMW, oh, my BMW, oh, God, my BMW. He was crying over his, his BMW, which was crashed and wrecked. And the person told him next to him, you're not worried about your hand broken and falling? He looked at his hand, he says, oh, my Rolex, oh, my Rolex, oh, my Rolex. That was a real funny joke. He's not bothered, his hand is broken, his Rolex is He's worried about his Rolex. Sometimes materialism can get the better of us. We fast and pray for God to bless us. And that's nothing wrong in it. But when greed gets the better of us, we forget the purpose of his blessing. That's where the danger comes in. I want to introduce you to a business that I highly respect. Have you heard of Chick-fil-A? Anyone heard of this yeah, those who traveled abroad, Chick-fil-A. Now, Chick-fil-A is a company that was run by a believer. Now, it's a fast food American chain, specializes in chicken sandwiches, founded in 1946. It has more than 2,000 restaurants in the United States, and the company's culture is influenced by the founder of this lady called Truett Cathy, who's a Southern Baptist Christian. And uh, she has enforced a law that said that Sundays, all Sundays, her restaurant will not be open. Not even on Thanksgiving or on Christmas. And her business is flourishing. And a person told me this, or one of my friends in Canada said this. People queue up to get into the, into the restaurant to have their sandwiches. Not only she took a stand of godliness, God blessed her, and look at what she did with her wealth. Now this is what the internet says, that this business has done more for single welfare mothers and drug addict teens than any other person on this earth. Here is a woman whose heart is for God, started a business, got the blessing, and knew what to do with the blessing. Too many people who have an ambition for money seek God for success, and there's nothing wrong for it, but they do not see God what to do with the success of their business. And I get to know there are some other businesses like that. I didn't know Forever 21 was a, was a business, women's clothing, Forever 21. Anyone been there? Anyone bought anything? Yeah, it's supposed to be John 3.16 in every package or something. It's run by a believer. 
But I'm trying to say something here this morning with Chick-fil-A, that how when you honor God, it may look ridiculous, but when God blesses and God's favor is upon you, nothing fails, it succeeds. Look at what God's reply to them of their complaint, God, we fasted, but you never heard. In reply, verse 5, God says, is such a fast as yours what I have chosen? Is this what I recommend on your fast? A day for a man to humble himself, only a day you choose to humble yourself with sorrow in your soul? Is true fasting mere mechanical? Is it just for that one day? Is it only to bow down his head like a bulrush and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him, indicating humility, indicating a condition of heart that he does not have? Will you call this a fast as an acceptable day to the Lord? That was God's reply. And sometimes, religiously, we can set aside a day for fasting. Now, it's good to do that. But if you do it and you lose the heart and it's not changing you, then there's something wrong with fasting. Many times we use fasting to change God rather than change us. Fasting is not meant to change God, it's meant to change us. And when we change, circumstances change. And I know how people use fasting like a magic thing. If you're failing, you fast and pray, God will do it. You can't get married, you fast and pray. And everything is, is fasting and praying, like twisting God's arm and putting him in a corner and says, no, you do it, otherwise I'm not going to eat. Remember, we're looking at life from God's perspective. God is seeing beyond the, the natural. He's seeing beyond the activity, and he's looking at the condition, condition of our heart. If it does not have an impact on your life, then it will not have an impact on someone else's life. And God not only stops there, rectifying the motive of fasting, but he presents the objective of fasting. Let's look at verse 6, the objective of fasting. And the objective of fasting is to have spiritual compassion, and I titled it Spiritual Compassion. Verse 6, is not this the fast that I have chosen? To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the bands of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and that you break every enslaving yoke. Who breaks it? Who? We break it. So we'll break this down this morning. When the Bible says that is not this fast that I've chosen to loose the bands of bonds of wickedness, and the Bible talks about bonds, this is from the word bind, bound. And so he's bound by the wickedness that's around. From his childhood days, he's bound with the wickedness of rejection. He's been bound with the wickedness of sexual abuse. He's bound with the wickedness of lust. He's bound with the violence. Uh, people have abused him, exploited him, and uh, he's filled with fears. He's filled with anger and hatred. He's bound with all of that. Now, when we talk about bound with wickedness, we're living in a wicked world. Bad things happen to good people. And for no reason, for no choice of yours, someone takes advantage of you. You've grown up in a home of being a single parent. 
Have you faced the consequences of ridicule? You faced the consequences of being despised and rejected. You are bound with the wickedness of what happened in that environment. You go to school and someone sexually abuses you. You walk on the road and someone stabs you. You, you travel by train and someone robs you. You're bound with the cords of wickedness. And then he says, they become bands of a yoke. Now, you're living with all of this. A yoke, you, know, you look at a cow who's yoked together. A yoke is something that comes upon him. Like that, yoke. The yoke is heavy. You see what happens? All the trauma, all the negative things that has happened in your life has now become a yoke. He's living with the, the outworking of what's happened to him. He's angry with God. He's angry with people. He's even angry with himself. It's become a yoke. And that's why we do the school of healing and deliverance. Come to that later. It's a yoke. He wants to comfort himself. He gets into addiction because of what happened. The thoughts and the memories plague his mind. He's carrying a yoke. And so he says, God is saying to his people, is not this the, the fast that I have chosen? This is what I've called you to fast, that you would have spiritual compassion on people like this. You don't see people like this way physically. Sometimes you do. But this is how the world is. This is how many people are totally in bondage, totally under the grip of the enemy. And it says also to loose them from oppression. The enemy takes advantage of people like this and haunts them with memories, torments them. He can't sleep. He can't eat. Wherever he goes, he's in a mess. Why? He's under the hand of the oppressor. And God says, I have called my people for a chosen fast that you will stand in the gap and you will seek his face to, so that God will untie all the wickedness that's ground him. And automatically the yoke bro falls off. You command the oppressor, loose him in Jesus' name. That's our story. That should be your story. Someone shout an amen this morning. There's one more here. Let's see. What is fasting? Connect that to that wire. You see, fasting is like this wire. That's what fasting is. There is an unlimited supply of power flowing through this wire. You can't see it, but there is an un unlimited. Anyone wants to try putting your fingers through this? <laughs> no, no, okay, you're wise. You believe what faith you have. Unlimited supply. There is also needs that people have. If there's a need for the room to be lit up, that's a bulb to it. Fasting positions you to be connected with God and to connect with people's needs. Whatever the need is, if it's light, if it's running a mixie, your washing machine, fasting connects you to the source and it connects you to the need. In other words, fasting is like this wire. If it's not connected, it has no use. There is no connection with God and there's no connection to a need. And I thought this was a brilliant example while I was preparing to, to illustrate what fasting does. 
Now I'm going to show you what happens. When you fast, you go through hunger. The fact that you abstain from food and you go through the emotions of hunger, those feelings help us to know the pain and the suffering that people who are in bondage go through. So when you're hungry, you don't think of food, you think of people's needs. Now, it's a revelation when you tell people, you know, I fasted and prayed for you. They said, you prayed for me? And suppose who to pray for then? Fasting was meant to pray for people. You can pray for yourself. But God's chosen fast, Isaiah 58, is a call for God's people to stand in the gap, and that's called intercession. Intercession means intercept. It comes from the word intercept. There is power flowing through this wire, but there is, it is intercepted with a plug, and it brings forth light. God has called us to be intercessors who would stand in the gap, identify with the needs of the people, the brokenness that they go through, the oppression that they are suffering with, and connect with God's compassion in your spirit, understanding God's love, understanding God's heart, and you become a channel like this wire that connects to God's unlimited resource of power and compassion to the needs of people. Have I made things clear? I didn't know this when I looked at Isaiah 58. I would fast, and I don't know how many times, I think I wore out Isaiah 58 of my Bible. I would lay my hands, I would read it, I would say, God, give me understanding, and I would pray Isaiah 58 and saying, God, for the wickedness that bound people in this nation, people who bound in the church with wickedness, the things that have happened to them over the years, God, would you release them? I will pray that those who are oppressed with finances, those who are oppressed with the powers of darkness and circumstances, that that oppressor will be broken over people's lives. And I did this for years. Not even the thought entered my heart and mind that one day God will actually use me in this ministry of bringing healing and deliverance to other people. It didn't come sitting on a rocking chair and saying, God, you know, it'll be so nice if you just blessed me with this ministry. You see, I, I just like doing it. And God says, oh, my son, thank you so much. You take these gifts, go do it. If gifts came that way, I'll collect more. If you don't have a heart to minister to people who are broken, don't minister to them at all. And that's why I hate People saying, I had a tough case today. People are not cases. They are children of God. They have God's stamp on them. And God has called you to restore his image in each one of the individuals. They're not cases. And if people tell me, I tell the ministry team, never refer to a person as another case. They're not objects. They are the very ones that Jesus died for on the cross. And God has called us and he says, when you fast the way I have chosen, I will anoint you and I will bless you that you would have the power of the Holy Spirit to break the yoke of the oppressor, not only on your life, but on the life of people around you. And almost every week we get these calls. People oppressed, the more the word is going around, 
the busier our lives are getting. Because that's the condition of the world that we live in. Do you know that the Bible says, when there is no one who stands in the gap, the gap between God's power and people's needs, when no one stands in the gap as intercessor to intercept between God's compassion and people's needs, there is no revival. There is nothing God can do. You read in the Bible, study it for yourself. Because there was no intercessor, God says, I couldn't save this place. And God is looking for people to be this wire. Plugged into God and plugged in for the purpose of seeing the oppressor, to seeing the bonds that are so wrapped people into. The yoke, bondages, to be set free from them. And that's why the physical and the spiritual is so important in a time of fasting. Your physical need to eat, the feelings of hunger connected to people's needs, and that's what I do. And I started doing this when God began to show this to me. I would think of the people I'm praying for. What are they going through? And I think to myself, my feelings of hunger is hardly anything compared to that lady in the operation theater. It's nothing what I'm going through in hunger compared to a person who's living in torment and cannot sleep. And I think of that, and I said, God, I focus on you now. That helped me to focus on people's needs. I don't get depressed because I only look at people's needs. I look at the compassion of God, and I look at the heart of God, and everything in the heart of God is to restore people. Everything. I have absolutely no doubt that God's heart is to restore people. God's heart is for our well-being and not for our disadvantage. And I say, God, I stand in between. You intervene in this person's life. Unless you intervene, there is nothing else that we could do. And that's the fast that God has chosen us for. I want us to go on a one-day fast. How many of you would like to join me in a one-day fast? We miss our breakfast, we miss our lunch, and you can eat at dinner. I have sympathy on you. <laughs> but if we can get our heart right with God and say, God, I'm not going to focus on my needs. I'm not going to focus on what I want. I'm just going to remind myself of God's faithfulness. Last Sunday's message, you remind yourself of God's faithfulness. You remind yourself of who God is. You remind yourself of God's covenant, not only for yourself, but for the people around you. Fasting releases the anointing. Isaiah chapter 10, verse 27. It shall come to pass in that day that his burden will be taken away from your shoulder and his yoke, the oppressor's yoke from your neck, and the yoke will be destroyed because of the anointing oil. The anointing speaks of the Holy Spirit. It says the yoke will be taken away from people. Only one reason, the Holy Spirit, the anointing that, will, that God will give you. That's why the Bible says you will break the yoke over people's lives. Jesus fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, abstaining from food. And the Bible says in Luke 4, 14, that when Jesus came out of the fast, he returned to Galilee in the power of the Holy Spirit and news about him spread throughout the whole countryside. The first person that I can recall that went on a fast for 40 days 
was Moses. He went up to the mountain and he fasted there, face to face with God. And when he returned, he returned with what? He returned with the Ten Commandments, the law. And this time we have Jesus, our high priest, our representative, our substitute, who went on behalf of us. He declared God's chosen fast. Isaiah 58 was his mandate during those 40 days of fasting and praying. How do I know? I will show you. He fasted Isaiah 58. He believed the Father for the anointing that will break the oppressors over people's lives. He believed the Father for his compassion to undo the bones of wickedness that people were so entrapped with. And he came out not with the law. He came out with the Holy Spirit empowered for change and transformation in people's lives. And that's the difference with Moses coming out of God's presence of 40-day fast and Jesus coming out of a 40-day fast. And when we come out of a 40-day fast, you can expect, no, you don't have to go on a 40-day fast. You come out of a fast, you can expect something of God in your life. And that's why you do a search. Every person that witnessed revival were men and women who knew the secret of fasting. When Jesus came out of the fast, see what it says in verse 18. Jesus declared... The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. Why? He was face to face with the Father. He was believing the Father for some action. He says, the Spirit of God has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, the brokenness that is caused by other people's wickedness. He came to heal us from that brokenheartedness. He came to speak freedom to the captives. He called us to speak recovery of sight to the blind. We were spiritually blind. This is talking about spiritual blindness. That's why it's recovery of the blind. We were not blind when God created us in the Garden of Eden. We became spiritually blind because of disobedience. And God says the good news will awaken your spirit to recover spiritual sight that you could see the hope that there is in the gospel. He was anointed to speak freedom to those who were oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. You know what Luke 4, 18 is? It's the manifestation and the result of Isaiah 58. Isn't it true? Talks about the oppressed, talks about the poor, talks about those who are brokenhearted. It's, it's the answer for Isaiah chapter 58. You connect the two together. No wonder Jesus went on that fast. There's something else that God calls us in Isaiah 58 to do. Isaiah 58 verse 7, and God says, it's a good thing to have spiritual compassion, but I want you to have physical, practical compassion. It says, is it not to divide your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked, that you cover him and that you hide not yourself from your own flesh and blood? Don't be insensitive to people's needs. Yes, you're praying for them spiritually, but we also have to have practical compassion. And someone is down and out, someone who really needs help. See how you could go and, and, and reach out to the homeless. And that's why what we do at Radiant School is highly commendable before God. It's reaching out to the oppressed. It's reaching out to those who are poor, who have no future and no hope if, if they didn't get this education and what we're giving to them. 
Absolutely nothing. They're from the streets. They're from a slum. It's the only time I hear reports that if they go to school, they get beating. We all know that when we don't go to school, we get beating. They, if they go to school, they get a beating. You know why? Because the parents want them to go sell and beg on the road to give them some money, not waste their time in school. That's the parents' logic. Those are the children we're looking at. So God calls us to do something. Tell someone next to you, God has called you to be an agent of change. You believe that? Shout an amen. That's all. Only few of you believe it. You believe it? You are an agent of change wherever you go. That's why God called you his light. That's why he called you his salt. That's why he called you his ambassador. Why? Because you and I were destined to bring change in this world. You're not living your life to live a comfortable life. You're living your life to force change. You're living your life to leave behind a legacy. A legacy of testimonies and stories and and. Things that happen in other people's lives. Jeremiah chapter 22, verse 13. God is speaking to his people saying, Woe to him who builds his palace by unrighteousness. You build your house by unrighteousness. Your upper room, your, your lounge, or whatever you want to call it, by injustice. Making his own people work for nothing. Not paying them for their labor. And God never supports any business or any activity where you're injustice and you exploit people without paying them. Verse 15, does it make you a king to have more and more cedar to build your home? Did not your father have food and drink? He did what was right and just, and he says, all went well with him. He judged the cause of the poor and needy. Then it was well. Was not this knowing me, says the Lord? And he says, starts off Isaiah 1 saying, is it not what I want to do? A chosen fast. And then he says in Jeremiah, is it not this called what it means to know me? He says, this is what I am. I desire that the cause of the poor and the needy will be met. Their needs will be met. Don't exploit the poor and needy. Bless the poor and needy. And it will always be a blessing to you. True love for God expresses true compassion for people. True love for God expresses true compassion for people. That's what your love for God will do. True love for God will express true compassion for people. We've got a lot to ponder on. Thank you for listening to this message. To know more about us, please visit www.adonai-ministries.com.